Good afternoon. The topic being discussed is what is the relevance of philosophy in modern and contemporary society? How is philosophy relevant to development? Make reference to two philosophical methods. Okay, so first, philosophy can be defined as an academic subject that exercises reason and logic in an attempt to understand reality and answer fundamental questions about knowledge, life, morality, virtue, and human nature. And that was a definition provided by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. So, um, imagine being in a world in which nobody asked any philosophical question. Um, nobody asks why, how, and who made things the way they are. It would be a world where nothing would be questioned and conversations would be pointless. Therefore, philosophy helps us to develop the skill of thinking for ourselves and discovering our own unique solutions to problems. We are rational beings, so we engage in the process of philosophizing in some form or the other. And it helps with development because they are truth and in fact they are doctors lawyers pediatricians politicians who must question everything thoroughly before making crucial decisions so as the author and philosopher c.s lewis explained that we are physically embodied and most of the things that are important source are less tangible and philosophy is among them so Philosophy plays a major role in our development as we use the philosophical method of reasoning and questioning a lot. So we don't just readily accept information. So if a person tells us something, for example, the sky is blue, we'd start to question why is the sky blue? Who made the sky blue? How are we sure that the sky is blue? And we'll begin we will begin to question things question theories and we don't just accept information because we are rational beings and that helps with our development we don't just stay on one stage so just imagine that if we get certain information and we just accept it without questioning why then we would be stagnant we'd be on us we'd be on a stage without improvement without development but because we are rational beings and because we are we ask questions as why how who how are we certain that's how it helps with our development we gain knowledge by asking questions we gain knowledge by researching we gain knowledge by being curious and that is how we develop we don't just accept the information so as plato uses the allegory of the cave he illustrates he illustrates um what our philosophy could help with development because persons were living in a cave and they, they were chained and their their hands and their necks were chained so they weren't able to see their surrounding but a wall in front of them and they were seeing shadows Shadows of person moving, shadows of everything, and that, and they believe that was reality because that was what they were seeing. So they are just used to one thing. But the moment that one slave was freed, or one person was freed, and they began to see different things, they start to question. Oh, so what was what I was seeing before? Maybe that wasn't real. Oh, comes 
this is this way how comes why is it like this so that person now is being developed that person is seeing something different um bright broaden the, their horizons so they are not just on one stage where they, where they are seeing one thing they um are exposed to other things so that is development that is how philosophy helps with development it helps us to ask questions it helps us to research it helps us to view things more in depth um so without the philosophy of question we wouldn't be able to explore the role of role that question play in our everyday lives it examines the nature of questions the way they are they are used the value of for us for us as humans and our development so philosophy is an intrinsic part of human life because it settles our curious thoughts about existence and it pushes us to understand things outside the box without philosophy life would be d very dull as questions could not be asked people opinion and ideas would be silenced and therefore everyone would be forced to be the same we wouldn't have original thoughts and new ideas as no one would take the initiative to try and improve society we would readily accept information without questioning and reasoning the outcomes so i believe philosophy has contributed so much to our contemporary society because i don't think anyone would be willing to live in a world where the only answers to questions are yes and no we would want to question why is it how is it and who did this Good night and welcome to Intro to Phil class again. The topic being discussed is number two. What is the what difference is there between appearance and reality as argued by Plato? How does Plato Plato's view differ from Aristotle on this subject? So appearance and reality will be discussed today. So how can we truly know what is real versus what is the shadow what is the shadow of our reality um to be honest this topic is really interesting somewhat confusing but yet i try to grasp as much as i can from this topic because honestly we can't really know what is real and what is just what is appearance and what is reality but i'll try to explain a bit so the difference between appearance and reality is studied extensively in the field of metaphysics okay so appearances are deceptive and derivative whereas reality is genuine and true but then how can we know what is true if we do not know what is reality so appearance is basically viewing things just as they appear to us while reality is the state of things as they exist as opposed to an idealistic or notional idea of them. So, again, I'll use Plato's allegory of the cave to basically show us how he show, um, explained reality versus appearance. So, Plato, in his theory of forms, um, showed us that the physical world is not really the we real world instead reality exists beyond our physical world so he he asserts that there are two realms the physical realm and the spiritual realm the physical realm is basically the material stuff that we see and interact with each day it is changing it is imperfect so it is the world that we live in every day and what we see 
and the spiritual realm now exists beyond the physical also called the realm of forms all right so he asserted that the forms are ab abstract they are perfect unchanging concepts that transcend in in time and space he sees the form as a guide for making a good version of something so he's basically saying that um the world we live in is basically a shadow of reality which is the realm of forms so Using the allegory of the cave, he basically gave, gave a visual representation of what his opinion of appearance is and what is reality. So um, the fact that the, the prisoners were inside a cave with their legs and neck chains while facing a wall, they cannot see each other nor the walls behind them and which objects are being carried. The prisoners can only see the shadow that these objects cast on the wall. Therefore, because they are constantly seeing the shadows, they believe it is reality, as they were not exposed to anything else. But if one prisoner's were, prisoner was to be freed and turn around, he, he would be able to see things of the world. What then would he really, really view as reality? So... Because they were completely ignorant of themselves and the world. Because they were basically seeing shadows of what was real. They would become confused. You understand? So Plato is basically saying that now that we are living, we are like the men in the cave. Seeing only a few things. But we are not seeing everything. So this, this world we are living in is only a shadow of the real world. So... Even though there are theories that goes against Plato's um, realm of forms, to some extent, E is correct. Because how can we truly know that whatever we are seeing is not just an electrical impulse or whatever it is? So we don't know. And we are, even though we have carried out many experiments, we, we, there are still things that cannot be explained or things that cannot be seen. Um, so then, who to tell that we we don't have a realm of forms for real? But yet still, I still don't understand why why we would need the realm of forms. Why can't we just accept that it is one world and there is a God controlling the world, controlling the universe and everything around it? Good evening. Question 3 asks, all knowledge is either analytic or synthetic. Examine the challenges of defining knowledge given the different accounts of what knowledge is and how it is derived. So, knowledge can be defined as a justified true belief. So, it is a bit difficult to define knowledge as so many theories were formed trying to explain how knowledge is acquired. John Locke stated that the human mind is a tabula rasa, a clean blank parchment sheet or state at birth. So, it's basically saying that all ideas are acquired through the senses as we live in the world. So as we go about our daily lives and we experience different things, we see different things, that's how our brains began to say, oh, this is so, oh, that is why this is like this. And, and it shows how things work together. But on the other hand, Descartes was saying that human beings knowledge are in innate so it means that we are born with, with knowledge so 
our brain already knows certain information and it is just for us to access it. On the other hand, Aristotle believes reasoning helps humans to coordinate ideas and we are rational beings. So this means we have the ability, ability to engage in coordinated thoughts and reason to, reason to conclusion and inferences. So different people have different beliefs of what knowledge is and how it is derived. And I mainly agree, I really agree with John Locke as he's saying that, I somewhat agree with John Locke as he stated that our mind is a, is a blank parchment sheet. All ideas are acquired through the senses as we live in the world. But I then somewhat agree with Descartes because language, knowledge must be innate because certain things we already know but because of experiences, we realize that we already know certain things. So I believe they both work hand in hand. And then Aristotle's point makes sense as well because we have to reason in our everyday lives. And the more we reason, the more we gain more knowledge. So they, bo they both, they all work hand in hand. And analytic and synthetic um, are distinct distinctions between two between types of statement, which was first described by Immanuel Kant in his work Critique of Pure Reason as part of his effort to find some stone basis for human knowledge. So he was trying to explain how we have knowledge and how it is derived. So according to Kant, if a statement is analytic, then it is true by definition. Another way to look at it is to say that if, we, if the negation of a statement results in a contradiction or inconsistency, inconsistency then the original statement must be analytically true and if a statement is synthetic it is true its true value can only be determined be determined by relying on observation and experience its true value cannot be determined and relying solely upon or examine the meaning of the words involved so in synthetic we must um observe and go through experiences so for example all men are arrogant we must have a certain level of experiences with men to know that all men are arrogant but you can see the difference between analytic and synthetic good evening question 7 asks what are the philosophical issues raised by the concept of rights duties and obligations use examples from the Caribbean society or any other society to exemplify your views so rights are norms that aspire to protect all people everywhere from severe political legal and social abuses examples of rights of human are the right to freedom of religion the right to freedom of movement and the right to an education those are just a few examples. Hence, the philosophy of human rights addresses questions about the existence, justification, and legal status of human rights. In Jamaica, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, UDHR, in Article 3, states that everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. In the International Convenant on Civil Political Rights, ICCPR, Article 6, in Jamaica, every human being has the inherent right to life. This right shall be protected by the law. No one should be arbitrarily deprived of their right to life. 
The most influential early account of Wright's theory is that of the 17th century British philosopher John Locke, who argues that the laws of nature mandate that we should not arm anyone's life, health, liberty, or possessions. For Locke, he believes that our natural rights are given to us by God and should not be violated. On the other hand, duties is an action which we are obligated to perform out of the respect for the moral law. So duties are rules or laws of some sort combined with some sort of felt constraint or incentive on our choices, whether from external coercion by others or from our own powers of reasoning. So duties and beliefs are linked. So whatever we believe, we would, we would act a certain way towards it. A philosopher, um, Professor Puffendorf, he said we have three duties. Duties to God, duties to oneself, and our duties to others. So basically, duty is an obligation to act out of reverence for a certain law. Duty maintains morally binding force as it implies oughtness. For, it has, for if one has a duty to perform, then independence of all other considerations, one ought to perform that duty. So duties are basically something we feel obligated to do based on a certain belief or based on what? Yeah, based on belief. However, obligation is strongly binded to a duty because an obligation is a course of action that someone is required to take whether legal or moral and moral in terms of beliefs so there are also obligations in other normative contexts such as obligation of etiquette social obligation religious and pos and politics obligation so where certain duties must be fulfilled these are generally um things that people seems like they have to do so obligations or duties are tied and in and so in jamaica for example it is our duty to ensure that we the government um of jamaica fulfill our needs and the government is obligated to fulfill our needs so they work hand in hand. It is our duty to do. It is our duty to ensure that we get a certain GPA to be in school. And the school is obligated to accept us when we obtain that GPA. So they work hand in hand. Good night. The topic being discussed is number five, which asks, what is your position on the nature of human existence? Carefully examine the metaphysical and epistemological issues involving the mind-body problem. State how you think certain views affect the practice of psychology. To begin, Descartes is a dualist who focused on the issue of the mind-body problem and he believes that there are two kinds of substance, matter and mind. The physical stuff like bodies, chairs, rocks are extended in space and are called rest extensor which is what our bodies are made of so it's basically saying the body is in the physical world that we see and interact with every day but there's also the mental stuff like our thoughts ideas which takes up no physical space and are called res cognita which is what our minds are made of so he's basically trying to say here that the physical world is 
totally and completely different from the mental world and they have no relation. So he believes the nature of the mind is different, right? From our body. Therefore, he's trying to say that it is possible for one to exist without the other. So the mind is not part of the brain, nor the body, but exists within the brain. So they are not the same thing, but uses each other to exist and to coexist. So in metaphysics and epistemology, these causes problem in the mind-body dualism. Dualism means both. So basically, it's, there are two different things, right? The mind and the body. Um, and because metaphysics hold the belief that there are two kinds of reality, material or phys- and physical, and or immaterial, which is also called the spiritual. So metaphysics is basically tied to what Descartes was explaining about the physical stuff and the mental stuff. So it deals with the existential questions about space and the difference between being and not being. So metaphysics focus on things beyond the physical world, things that we can see, things that we can't interact with. So the mind and the mind and our thoughts and ideas has to deal with meta- metaphysics thing, things that appear beyond the physical world. Now, epistemology explains why our mind relates to reality and how these relationships are either valid or invalid. But seeing the metaphysical and the epistemological issues, this can have this can affect psychology because psychology is the study of human behavior, human behavior, mental problems and all of that. So if a person is acting a particular way, we could say that this part of the brain is damaged. They can't think a certain way and all of that. So to an extent, I do believe that the mind and the body is related. Not Even though Descartes saying that it's only the finial gland in the brain that allows communication between the mind and the body but it affects psychology because certain behavior then would be difficult to tell what is the cause is it just the body having a problem or is it the mind having a problem so it poses some challenges for psychology when studying the brain and human behavior but with understanding of the theories i think they can come up with a sound argument as to what is the cause of this and that in a person's behavior. Because really and truly, the mind and the body can be two different entities using each other as a vehicle to, 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 to carry out their function. Thank you. Good night. The topic being discussed is question four, which asks, me to discuss the correspondence, coherence, and pragmatic theories of truth. What would you say is the relationship between truth and belief? So, truth can be defined as a statement about the way the world actually is. While a belief, on the other hand, is something personal, it may be true and it may not be true, and it can change at any time. But 
perhaps the most important of the neoclassical theories for the contemporary literature is the correspondence theory, which is supported by Bertrand Russell. And it's the basic idea of the correspondence theory is that what we believe or say is true must correspond to the way things are, to the facts. So what we believe is true. So if, for example, we believe that the sky is blue, we must have facts or we must see that the sky is blue to believe that it's blue. So that is why the correspondence theory is saying that we what we believe or say is true must correspond to the way things are. So what we see and say, yes, it is true, then when we look at the sky, it must be blue. But the thing is, I can look at the sky and see that it is blue. But for example, a person who is colorblind look at the sky and see that it is and say that it is purple. How can we then tell which is true or can both be true at the same time? So sometimes we are looking at things and we can't really tell because people are seeing things um, from this different perspective. So it makes it difficult to tell what exactly is true because you can have person with, a person who is colorblind look at the sky and tell you that it is purple while I am looking at it and, see, and saying that it is blue but the correspondence theory however tell us that what we believe or say is true must correspond to the way things actually are however the coherence theory which is supported by George Egel is the view that a belief is true if it coheres or is consistent with other things a person believes. For example, I can use the same example as the sky. If a person say that the sky is blue, it's true. If the belief is consistent with other things the person believes. So if somebody say the sky is blue and another person say the sky is blue, then it is true that the sky is blue. The pragmatic theory, on the other hand, stated that things are true based on their usefulness and this is supported by Williams James and it allows for various this this theory allows for various amount of truth so everybody can have or believe that things is true we don't have a set way to say oh, okay some oh my teacher say that the book is yellow but suppose I look at the book and see that it is white, I can hold that it is true that the book is white. So the connection between truth and belief is that truth is facts about reality that are unchanging, but belief is what we hold to be true. So truth is facts about reality that are unchanging, but belief is what we hold to be true. So they are related. Thank you. Good night. Number six is being discussed. And it states, absolute freedom is meaningless and freedom gains meaning in the context of human responsibility. Carefully examine this view. So the philosophy of freedom is the fundamental philosophical work of the philosopher Rudolf Stirner. It addresses the question whether and in what sense human beings can be said to be free. Stirner describes... Two sources for human action. One is the driving force springing from our nat natural being, from our instincts, feeling and feelings and thoughts. 
on the other hand various kinds of external motives we may adopt all influence our action and somehow our responsibility so human responsibility is also tied to our morals what we choose to do so absolute freedom is meaningless to an extent because human responsibility is a lot we don't just get up every day and lay in bed or whatever we have tasks that are supposed to be completed we have jobs that are dictated to us by our boss bosses we are told when what time and how to dress for work and sometimes we don't have the freedom we don't have the freedom of choosing when we want to go to work what time we want to go to work and how we want to dress to go to work and so i'd say that freedom is basically meaningless when human responsibility comes into play so good evening the question being answered tonight is number eight which states beauties in the eye of the beholder are there objective standards for evaluating artistic artistic objects use example from the jamaican society to illustrate your answer so to begin art may be defined as the expression or utilization of creative and technical skill as well as imagination to produce a work so in philosophy aesthetics is the branch that studies the nature beauty appreciation and good taste of art so Immanuel Kant and David Humes are philosophers who research this areas area and Immanuel Kant states that no one idea of taste can be proven to be correct or incorrect so he thought that its aesthetic judgment were grounded in assessment based on subjective experience rather than objectivity so by aesthetic judgment Kant meant a judgment based on a feeling so based on what we feel about art so in Jamaica sometimes we go to um, for example at the manly school of art and we see different design so based on our taste we would say oh god that that picture is very ugly or I like that that picture it expresses something or because we can relate to whatever the art is about so if it is somebody in pain and we are having a bad day we can relate to it but if we're happy it's like we can't relate to it so um, it is based on feelings as Khan said he um, was especially concerned to describe those feeling based judgments in which an object is found beautiful and then show that we are entitled to make such judgments despite being unable to verify them so some objective standards of aesthetic judgment is that judgments of beauty are immediate we don't think about we don't sit and think about if the picture is beautiful as we see the picture so if we go to so, go somewhere in Jamaica and we see a, pi- a picture, for example, Bob Marley, we don't sit and say, oh, that, that painting was done so beautiful. As we look at it, we can tell it is ugly or it is beautiful. 
So aesthetic judgment has nothing to do with rationality, but some believe it has to do with reasoning. So in order to make certain judgment, we must have certain standard of things. We must have a certain standard of how we view things. Arthur, um, the philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer says that art provides essential knowledge of the world's objects in a way that is more profound than science or everyday experience. So aesthetic pleasure results from being a spectator of the world as representation or mental image or idea. The function of art is to just express ourselves, express our ideas, express our feelings, express or just do art for art's sake. So art there there is not a world without art. Art is a creative imagination. Thank you. Good evening. The question being discussed is number nine, which states that if God exists, then there is no evil. There is no evil, therefore God does not exist. Comment illustrating your views with one argument for and one against the existence of God. Defend a position. So I believe that there is no separation of good and evil. For example, if an apple is red and juicy, then we say it is good. But when that same apple begins to rot, we say it is bad. Evil is not something we can touch. Evil is not put in a place where humans go and touch it. So evil is the absence of good and most and most times we think about the creation of the world and the things in it we we want to know who created it. We begin to say whoever made this is all powerful and we call him God. However, when we see evil, we say that things happening that are evil, we perceive as evil, we say that this could not be the work of God, it is the work of the devil. So when, in reality, when things are not going according to how human wanted to, we say it is evil. So one can question the existence of God because we focus on the conception of God as all-powerful, all-knowing and perfectly good. So if God exists, then God is omnipotent, omniscient and morally perfect. If God is omnipotent, then God has the power to eliminate all evil. If he is omniscient, then he knows when evil exists. If God is morally perfect, then God has the desire to remove all evil. However, evil exists. And if God exists and evil exists, then either God doesn't have the power to eliminate all evil, or doesn't know evil exists, or doesn't have the desire to eliminate all evil, therefore God doesn't exist. So that is one argument against the existence of God. But on the other hand, God exists, but there is also evil. When he made the world, he made it perfect for us to live in it comfortably. A thesis might argue that much evil and suffering are due to our own immoral and sinful conduct, allowing humans the freedom to act this way and for the consequences to really manifest is a greater good than preventing the evil, since it allows for a sensible moral um, moral action with humans having, the, having to make meaningful moral choices in life. I do not necessarily agree with this, but let's say so for the sake of the argument. Because God exists and evil exists, and I believe evil exists in good. One cannot exist without the other.
Thank you. Good evening. Question 10 is being discussed and it's asked. It asks me to identify at least two popular arguments for why people should not study philosophy and explain why arguments should or should not be accepted. So Stephen Hawkins was a philosopher who boldly argues that philosophy is dead. Even though philosophy allows persons to question and reason the world around them, one of the disadvantages of why people should not study philosophy is the lack of practical value. In other words, there is no end in sight. No one is really led to know God, self, or what is reversed versus what is a shadow of our reality. A simple sentence made by Descartes which says, I think, therefore I am, can turn into endless discussions and theories without even coming to a stable or logical answer. This argument is understandable because there are so many theories in philosophy, and even when we want a one final answer, it is not possible. They are just theories and more questioning which cannot be empirically solved. Another argument is that philosophy drives most of us away from religion. We question the existence of God and reality. So a philosopher known as Nietzsche and Bertrand Russell pronounce God as dead. In all their studies, they still do not find any proof of God, and so they make theories questioning and arguing about the work of creation. Some things, to me, which I believe, are greater than human understanding, and even though difficult for us to explain, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And a philosopher known as Spinoza says that it is better to live as if there is a God than living as if there is no God, and you end up finding that there is a God. So I totally agree with this argument. Thank you.